We want to welcome our center worshipers in with us today and those that are streaming live with us. And uh, we're also uh, thankful to have these great folks here in our sanctuary joining us. As uh, today, we just uh, start with a question, a simple question. How many of you have ever been frustrated at least one time in your life? Can I see your hands? Now that... Man, that may be one of the only times I've ever seen a unanimous vote like that. Pretty incredible. Almost every one of you raised your hands and you that did not, uh, did not raise your hand uh, because you were trying to find your Bible and just couldn't get your hand up. But uh, just the only thing that really worries me about that is when I was looking, several of you were pointing to your marriage partner next to you when you're raising your hand. Made me wonder a little bit. Frustration. I want us to talk about that for a few moments today. I want us to look in God's word about frustration. I think it's important that we just kind of start with a working definition when we talk about frustration. Frustration is when expectations and realities collide. When what you expect to happen encounters a different direction and the reality is different than you expected, then you have that clash, and that clash is called frustration. When you expect things to go a particular way, they don't go that way, they go a different way, or maybe they go completely opposite of that way. In that moment, what you feel is expectation. And let's just take another quick poll. How many of you ever been frustrated, for instance, in traffic? Can I see your hands? Wow. I didn't know there were that many bad drivers in Longview. I've been frustrated as well in traffic. And I have one of those magnetic fishes on my bumper. And the reason it's on there with a magnet is just for that case, so I can get frustrated in traffic. But just wondering, have you ever, come on, followed somebody, they're driving 40 miles an hour with their blinker on. And they drive on and on and on and on. And finally, as you're following them, you're saying, hey, I don't care where you turn. I just want to know when are you going to turn? Are you with me? You know, uh, we get frustrated, don't we? I just, uh, you know, when we travel, we get frustrated. It doesn't matter if you're going to Malawi all the way across the world or in terms of traveling, if you're just going down the road, whenever we travel so often, we can get very frustrated. I had a meeting this week over in the big city of Marshall, Texas. And after the meeting, I was going to run a quick errand. I had a location written down and he dropped something off at this location. I thought I knew Marshall pretty well and happened to be on Washington Street, you know, right where that is. And, and, and anyway, I am directionally challenged. My wife will be bobbing her head down here, yes. So I had my phone, I had the address, I even had a map. And I pull up, and even my phone says, You have arrived. You have arrived. Well, when I arrived, that location was not what was on the card. That business was not in the right place. And so I just went up to the nearest convenience store. 
I walk in, I got my map, I've got the card where it's supposed to be there on Washington Street. I ask the attendant very clearly. I think I've articulated extremely well. I simply ask the question, do you know of this business? Do you know of this location? And uh, if so, can you tell me how to get there? He looks at me and of all things says, from here? No, I want to go back to Longview and start over. <laughs> then the gentleman says, do you want me to send you the short way? No, man, I have plenty of time to drive around Marshall this afternoon looking for the place. Just send me the long way. I mean, traveling things can like that can happen, can't they? Hey, everyday life things happen. Can I hear an amen to that? Thursday, Becky and I both had long days, and we're in a temporary residence, and so we have to drop our dogs off every day and pick them up in the evening. It's a big mess. And uh, so Becky, it, Becky's on dog duty. And so I don't know, it gets to be around six o'clock. I'm expecting the call, pick up something for supper. I'll meet you there. I know it's been a long day for her. It's her long day. It was a long day for me too. And, and uh, all of a sudden the phone call came around a little, little after six o'clock but not the phone call I expected. She calls and says, the keys are locked in my car. And then it follows up with something else I didn't expect. The dogs locked the keys in the car. <laughs> True story, pastor's wife's here, verify. Have you ever had this moment in life, you're exhausted, it's dark early, you with me? Still haven't had supper. It's, it's between six and seven o'clock. The dogs have locked the keys in the car. That's more for an incredible moment. And, and so I'm calling people in law of you to try to come. Uh, oh, and, and of course, the obvious thing is, why don't I take this, my key to her car over there, right? Why well, don't ever carry that big fob? And it's pocked, uh, packed among 200 boxes in our moving experience right now. And, and it's just like, I mean, I mean, this is all messed up. And then I figure out as I get LockDoc on the phone, you know, it's, the moment comes, he says, sir, what's the problem? And I almost uttered the words, my dogs have locked, locked my keys in the car. I just couldn't say that. You know what I'm saying? I can hear the guy hanging up on the other end saying, hey, this dude's drunk. Some dogs are driving his car and they locked the keys in his car. I'm not going over there to fix that. So, you know, what do I do? I do the good thing that any husband would do. I dish it on my wife and said, my wife has locked her keys in the car. And can you get that picture the dog inside the window up at the ledge saying, hey, hey, let's go. Becky on the other side saying, you locked the keys. You hit the, you hit the lock button, you stupid dog. I'm just asking, do, are Becky and I the only ones that have these kind of frustrating moments? Do any of you others have those kind of moments in life? And that's exactly what I want to talk to you about today. Because some of you, these last two weeks have been tough. Some of you are in a, in a neighborhood right now that still half the neighborhood has their political signs up. And some of you are just at wit's end politically. You're hurt, you're frustrated, you're just sick of it all. 
And when expectations collide with reality, that's called something you and I need to, it needs to resonate with us, that's called frustration. Some of you are just sick of this mass thing. And I join you. We're, we're tired of not being able to shake and hug and get close to one another. And this is drug on and on and on. And what we thought was going to be a few weeks has ended up being a multitude of months. And now they tell us the worst is yet to come. So if there's ever a day that you and I need to be talking from a biblical standpoint about frustration, it's today. And as we gather around God's word today, I want you to understand that from a biblical perspective, it's in those moments that you and I need to have some tools to help us at that intersection of life where frustration, where we encounter that in life, and it doesn't matter if it's in frustration that seems to be never ending, if it's those silly moments of frustration, if it's those intense moments of frustration, how do we take our faith, God's word, at the intersection of that frustration, and how do we handle that? In fact, our goal should be, as you and I work our way through frustration, to not only work our way through it and be led through it by the Spirit of God, but to come out on the other side better than we went, when we went in. Wouldn't that be remarkable? And so today I offer a money-back guarantee. Three things I'm going to offer you today that if you will employ these in your life, it's going to turn out very well for you. It's going to be a good thing. It's going to be a helpful thing. And we're going to go to a very common character that if there's anyone in the Bible that was an expert on frustration, it was this man. Over in the book of Genesis, I want you to go ahead and turn with me to chapter number 40. Because today we're going to take and just revisit for a moment the life of Joseph. Man, if there's anybody that had expectation and reality colliding over and over, creating a feeling of frustration it was Joseph. You remember him, don't you? The guy that came from the big family. Dad walked with a limp by the name of Jacob. Twelve siblings. He was number 11 in the lineage. Evidently, he was cocky. Evidently, he was, well, outspoken. I don't know, loudmouth may be a stretch too far. But we remember him because early on, he has this dream, and of all things, he announces the dream in front of all of his brothers that one day all of you Peckerwoods are going to, oh, that was, I just added that. You got that. But hey, all of you guys are going to bow down to me one day. Now that's a pretty bold statement for the next to youngest of 12 sons to announce to his brothers. And you know what that brought. That brought a punch sandwich. That brought the group saying, let's get a rope. And we know early in his life, he was thrown, well, our King James translates this, a well. Most 
translations would use the word cistern. It was a dry water vat where he could not crawl out. It was deep, but it had no water in it at that moment. And so he was thrown there, and, but, but, but really his brothers wanted to kill him. Pretty soon, only to be sold to a traveling caravan, if you will, with really no better English terms for us to allude to, in, in which he was thrown into another deep cistern, if you will, but this one was full of slaves with one of those big grates over the top of it. And there he was. What a terrible plight in life. But things got better. Someone bought him, a man by the name of Potiphar. And in Genesis chapter 39, that's where we see this man, Joseph. He's working over things. He takes care of all the things in a household of a wealthy man by the name of Potiphar. And it was a, let's be honest, it was a good gig. I mean, I mean this house should have been on the America's most housing, famous housing list. No doubt he, he was eating well. And of all things for him, that collision that he had been experiencing, even in his heart, just to be able to say, you know, I'll probably never see my dad again. And who knows if I want to see my brothers again. But, but, but you know, the, the real thing is I'm out of that hole. I'm, out, I'm off the auction block. I'm out of slavery. And there he is working faithfully in this house of this man Potiphar, and of all things, things are going well except for one major problem. Potiphar happened to be married to a high-maintenance, low-self-esteem, psycho woman. Now, if you're a man here today and you're in that situation, do not look at your wife right now. And we know that she made a play for him sexually. And he resisted. And she had him arrested. So for us, when we come to chapter 40 in the book of Genesis, pretty incredible moment. Because here's a guy not facing a pandemic of COVID-19 or not facing political upheaval and the things that you and I necessarily are sick and frustrated about in our lives, but here's a guy that had an apex of frustration level. And where does he find himself? Right back in prison again. And again, when expectations collide with realities, and those aren't the same. It always causes an emotion, a feeling, a circumstance that you and I have to live through and function through called frustration. And I want to introduce you to something today. I want to introduce you to what will be a new principle in most of your lives it's the principle of what we're just going to refer to over and over throughout this message called chapter 40. A little later in the message, I'm going to talk and ram this home right at the end of our message where you won't forget it. But have you ever noticed in your Bible, Genesis to Revelation, anytime the number 40 is used, it's always connected with frustration, probation, 
or testing. When you look throughout the Word of God and you come across this number 40, almost invariably, almost without exception, it will be something linked to a probation period in someone's life, a testing period in someone's life, or a frustration point in someone's life. And that's why Joseph is so important to us today because he offers a roadmap to living through these chapter 40 moments when we're faced with these chapter 40 physical moments in our life. When we figure out, hey, our body's not functioning like it used to. When we find those moments when we're in these chapter 40 financial moments or family moments and marriage moments. Chapter 40 moments when someone spends all of their money and time and effort getting certified and degreed in a particular vocation area only to find out in the last few months they're phasing out that particular part in American industry. And you find yourself in these chapter 40 moments. It's the moments where a student has gone their whole childhood and now they're in high school years and the bomb is dropped when mom quickly announces, hey, dad's been transferred to Kingsport. It's like sophomore, junior in high school says, are you kidding me? I'm going to spend the next 18 months of my life in a high school, who knows where, that I don't know a single solitary soul. Chapter 40 moment. It's a young adult couple that have been married several years. All of their friends have had children. All of their friends have moved on in life with the kid thing, but not them. They've tried, they've worked. Everyone else has gone on with life, but not them. It's a chapter 40 moment. Three things I'm going to give them to you quickly that I want you to write down. I want you to see them right out of God's word. They're incredible things, incredible principles for us to remember. And again, I hope you will write them down. Number one, when it comes to frustration, Joseph is going to teach us this. And man, this is maybe the biggest help of all. Joseph teaches us, first of all, that frustration, oftentimes we've got to recognize it as God's course of preparation. Write that down. It's very important. When it comes to these frustrating moments, you and I need to be able to recognize those as God's course of preparation. Let me just make a statement. Frustration in the hand of the enemy is a tool of destruction. But frustration in the hand of God is a tool. Did you get that? I want you to take God's word and look in Genesis chapter 40. We know where Joseph is. He is back in prison after this fiasco with Potiphar's wife. He's back incarcerated. His brothers have put him in a, in a hole. These slave traders have dropped him in a, a hole. Now Potiphar and his wife have dropped him in another prison. And it's interesting because, in fact, just for the sake of time, let's, ju- let's, let's uh, just begin there in verse 1. We'll just read down to uh, verse 5. Sometimes later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offered their master the king of Egypt. 
or offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. These are the two guys that most of us recognize this story that are in prison with him at this moment. And then look in verse three, here it is. And they put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. And after they had been in custody for some time, look in verse five, each of the, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker, the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison had a dream the same night and each dream had a meeting of its own. Now I want you just to do something with me. Look in verse number three, we see the word custody. Do you see that? Look at the very end of verse three and I'm just quoting here from the NIV, the word confined. Look in verse four, there it is again in the middle of verse four, they, they had been in custody. And then you go down to, to verse number five and we see it again. There it is. They were held in prison. Now, some of you have this translation, not the word custody, but confinement. And what I want you to see is these chapter 40 moments are places of tremendous restriction and lockdown. This is where Joseph was. He was in a place in custody, in confinement. He was in a place of restriction and lockdown. And in those moments, you know how it feels. We all know how it feels. We feel hope being drained out of our lives in those moments. And there it is again, when expectations meet reality and those collide, we know it's called frustration. But can I speak into your life from a theos standpoint, a theology standpoint today? So many of you have this belief, anytime anything happens bad to you, or especially in a frustrative state, you make this assumption. Many times I make this assumption, unfortunately, and that is, well, God is punishing me. He's chastising me. He's spanking me. I wouldn't have got cancer if it wasn't for that. I, this, I mean, the dogs wouldn't have jumped on the lock button if it wasn't for that. I mean, the guy at the counter would have given me a more intelligent answer if it wasn't for God's punishment. And I want to remind you that the central reason that's wrong and a wrong philosophy from a biblical standpoint is God doesn't have to beat you up. He took all of your sin and dumped it on his own son. Your Bible teaches you and it teaches me that the one who knew no sin carried the burden and assumed that sin. He became sin itself to pay that sacrifice so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. And so I want you to understand something. Frustration is not necessarily punishment. In fact, nine times out of 10, frustration is preparation. Have you ever stopped to think about Joseph's early life, probably around a middle school boy when we pick up his story? And he pops off. Hey, dudes. I had this dream last night. Oh, really, Joseph? Yeah. Guess what? And he announces in front of all of his brothers, you will bow down to me. Think about that moment that his dad gave him that special colored coat. I'm telling you something. 
it's pretty brash and cocky. To, I mean, it's one thing to get it, but it's another to strap it on in front of your siblings. And, you know, you and I got to understand something. Even though Joseph might have been middle school, high school age as we pick up his early life, you and I got to understand something. He was already marked by God for a purpose, for a reason. God was about to put him through some chapter 40 training because soon he was going to be the prime minister of all of Egypt. He was going to be eventually beloved by the whole nation of Israel. Why? Because he was going to save their bacon. This guy had so far to go, but God had already marked him for what his purpose is. See, we got to understand things. It's one thing to know what you want to do in terms of service of God, but it's a totally another thing to be able to pull it off and get it accomplished. I mean, it's one thing for you and I to have a sense of the destiny of God, but it's another to be prepared to do it. And so often God passes us through these chapter 40 moments to knock off the rough edges. I think I put this on your outline, but it's so important. We've got to understand that so often what looks like a dead end to us, really it's in actuality an open door to our God and to the very mission that he has. It's a doorway. And so no matter what you're facing today and how frustrated you are when you've come to this place and you may think there's no way through it, no way out, I just want to remind you that very possibly could be a doorway to God himself to be able to accomplish the things that he desires to accomplish in your life. Are you starting to get the lay in the flow of the land? Frustration as a benchmark for us begins with us understanding and recognizing this probably is God's course of preparation in our lives. But jot down a second thing, and that is we've got to be willing to follow the lead here of what really not to do in terms of when you and I follow, fall into this trap of temptation. No, no, no. Frustration. When you and I fall into this element of frustration in our lives, we've got to be able to refuse to compromise. Write that down. That's a second very important principle. We've got to be able to, to refuse to compromise. Back to chapter number 40, verses 3, 4, and 5. Two people. One, really, the cupbearer is the taster. We know that prominent people have tasting people. So if you, man, man, wouldn't that be something you'd want some life insurance for, for that, for that vocation? You know what I'm saying? Testing things for the Pharaoh, testing things for the king. If somebody's going to be poisoned, hey, you need to drink this before the king drinks it to be sure there's nothing in it. Well, what if there is? Hey, you got a great life insurance policy. And then the baker, the cook. They had fallen out of favor with Pharaoh himself. And they end up, of all things, not a coincidence, but God places them together in this prison arena and with these cells and these relationships. And these two guys, of all things, have a dream in front of, and they share it with the dreamer himself. From an early age, he knew about dreams. He had dreams. And no quicker than they shared their dreams, then Joseph knew immediately what those dreams meant. He was able to know the future through those dreams. 
But of all things, Joseph begins to listen to their dreams and Joseph obviously begins to conjure in his heart now this question, you know, should I take those dreams, make them sound better than they were or not as good as they were? But no, 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 no. Of all things, Joseph decides that he's going to leverage the dreams to get him out of the mess that he is in. Joseph decides he is going to lay down the groundwork to to remove this chapter 40 situation of frustration in his life and that's going to end this scenario quickly. After all, as the Bible tells us, Joseph mentioned over and over, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. And here he is faced with an opportunity to go one way or another when it's a moment of compromise. And let me tell you something that may not be very favorable to share today, but it's the truth. When you and I get in moments of intense frustration, you and I are capable of doing things that we would not normally do. When we in our lives get to a point where frustration brings us to a boil, to a breaking point, in that moment, we quickly find out we're capable of doing some things, saying some things, acting in a particular way that we would not do under normal circumstances. Now, jot this down. When the door of compromise is potentially about to swing open, There's two things I want you to see. Look down in verse 14 that are very important. These are essential to us today. When you and I are making the decision of how we're going to handle frustration, compromise needs to be taken off the table. When we understand this could be God's course of preparation, that should change the perspective of us doing our own manipulation to try to shorten it or do anything else, we just need to be obedient to God's timing and his plan in our lives. Because when that door of compromise swings open, number one, if we choose to compromise, it can prolong the process. I want to show this to you. It can prolong the process. Look in verse number 14. The Bible says this, but when, he, but when all goes well, Joseph is talking to these two men. He's going to interpret their dreams, but he's going to ask something in return. Look at what he asked for. Verse 14, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Isn't it interesting? If you go back and look at the Hebrew language, It's interesting because, and NIV does a good job of translating this, they have the word inserted here, this prison. And it's important because it's a point of emphasis. In the Hebrew language, what Joseph is doing is he is specifying this moment, this prison, with a particular pinpoint accuracy. Me, here, now, out. That's the way the, the, the Hebrew language reads. And so in English, we have to use certain words to try to place emphasis on. And so the way that the, the, the translators of the NIV do this is saying, this prison, this moment, this place, this circumstance, this scenario. And you know, we don't 
get it here, but we get it in history. In fact, we get it in the first five or six words in chapter 41. This ends up costing Joseph two more years in prison. This little maneuver cost him two more years. In fact, look in verse number 15. I was forcibly carried off from the land of Hebrews, and even here I am. I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. You know, I don't always agree with every commentator, but so many of the commentators drove this home about verse 15. I'd really never thought about that, but so many of them mentioned it. I think I'm kind of starting to believe it as well. You know, I don't know how you heard verse 15 when I read it, Look at it again. I was forcibly carried off. Are you hearing me reading this from a man? Or are you hearing me read this from almost a heart of an adolescent that's frustrated and bitter and angry? And I would go so far as Corson and a couple of other commentators said, somewhat whiny. Listen to the words again with that narrative. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I've done nothing to deserve being put in this dungeon. So here's what I'm going to do, guys. I'm going to interpret your dreams. One of you is going to be put to death. Hate to tell you that, but you are. And one of you is going to flourish and be restored to position. Before I do that, before I tell you the dreams, I'm going to ask one thing. Because I really shouldn't be here anyway. Get me out of this mess. I don't belong here. I've been falsely accused. That woman was nuts. But here I am. You know, I made a statement a moment ago. I hope, I hope it resonated with you. When you and I get fed up with frustration, we're capable of doing a lot of things. How many times have I seen in a marriage that's going south, going the wrong direction, one partner or the other decides they'll go outside those bounds, compromise, I'm telling you, it's not going to be a help. In fact, it's going to just prolong the agony in the process. How many times have I seen time and time again in a young person or any person say, you know, if this did, a student tells me, well, I, I, I wouldn't be using the drugs if my dad had not been so whacked out and if my dad had not done this. And it's, it's kind of like, are you kidding me? Even though something bad, something tragic has happened in your life, two wrongs are going to make a right? You think by using drugs it's going to make it any better? How many times have we seen compromise in relationships cost someone? I actually had a young, young lady in one of our student ministries, not here, but one of the ladies in our student ministry confessed to myself and the student pastor at that time. She said, of all things, she said, seven months ago I was watching Animal Planet. And watching Animal Planet, I realized that even monkeys had a mate. 
And I felt like I was the only one in my school that didn't have a boyfriend. And so out of that frustration, she just selects, gosh, she couldn't have made a, a worse selection. And then she found herself in all kinds of trouble. And I just wonder, how many times have you and I had to walk out of bad relationships because we did something out of frustration or we made a choice that we shouldn't have made? I mean, I mean, a, a business situation, out of frustration, a man saying, you know, I'm going to pad my expense account. I wouldn't normally do this, but I'm not going to be able to make it through the month if I don't. Compromise. Always will prolong the process. The second thing I want you to jot down, I want you to see it out of Joseph's life, is you will miss so many good things. Compromise will end up making you miss. It will keep you from experiencing so many good things. Would you just go back to those verses we read a moment ago? I just found this fascinating. Look in verse number four. We, we read verse four a moment ago. And, and the, the captain of the guard, talking about Joseph, he assigned them, assigned Joseph. And notice this last phrase. The NIV says, he attended them. Some of you have this translation, he cared for them. I ask you from a history standpoint, go back just a little bit in history. What was that position that Joseph held in Potiphar's house? He cared for all of Potiphar's things. Now, God has given him the opportunity to care for people. And Joseph doesn't know, but he is about to be called upon to administratively be the greatest humanitarian in the entire world. You and I have the opportunity from a historical perspective to see what God is doing. He's taking a whiner. He's taking one that's a little cocky and arrogant. And he's knocking off through a chapter 40 experience the rough edges. Because in just a short period of time, Joseph is going to need to be motivated by his love for people. And there it is in print of our text. And God had him in a place in that prison learning what it was to care for people. Right where he wanted him. But Joseph decides he'll compromise. He'll work a deal. And he took care of them. Wow. You see, in seasons of chapter 40 moments, many times we don't see the good things, but we've got to trust God that he's going to show us through those chapters of our life the things that he wants us to know and the things that he wants us to learn about ourselves. Third and finally, jot it down. 
God often uses this as a preparatory time, doesn't he? He wants us to avoid compromise, stay away from that. When it comes to frustration, a third thing, during frustration, we got to be able to request God's special measure of courage. To request God's special measure of courage. You see, as we're reading along there in this chapter 40 moment, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? The plot is, is placed. The plan is placed strategically. Joseph compromises. He says, get me out of here. I'm going to tell you the dreams, but I'm going to bargain. Okay, okay, we'll do it. And then we come to the end of the chapter. In fact, let's begin reading in verse number 20. Verse number 20 in Genesis chapter 40. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a, t- a feast for all the officials. He, le- he, he lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. Now look in verse 21. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. He was the tester. We talked about that. And then here was the other dream, the other side of the dream, verse 22, but he impaled the chief baker. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah, he impaled him, all right. Just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. And then, here's the moment. Verse 23, last verse in chapter 40. The chief cupbearer, however, did you get it? Did not remember Joseph. In fact, the Hebrew language, and they do the best they can here in the English, the English comes back to reassert that he forgot him. He forgot him. He had a full-blown, nutra-sweet moment. Now, I read somewhere that you can lose short-term memory by using nutra-sweet. I just forgot where I read that. And the Bible says he forgot him. And I read somewhere he's having a nutra-sweet moment that it can cause you to lose your short-term memory, but I forgot where I was. Where I, you got it. He forgot him. Wow. And Joseph was left by himself. No doubt some other guys in prison. But his plan, the ones that he had been caring for, he attended them. They're gone now. But I remind you, there's something about Joseph's life, isn't there? When you go back and you look through the book of Genesis at Joseph, That phrase keeps popping up time and time again about his life. And the Lord was with him. And the Lord was with him. And the Lord was with him. And I'm reminded that in the end, wasn't it Joseph 
that ended up at the end of his life having a redemptive heart, even by looking at those brothers and saying, what you did to me, you meant it for evil. But my God, he meant it for good. It takes somebody with a steady hand and a firm foundation of faith to come to that place after someone has caused so much tragedy in your life. I just wonder how he was able to dial in hope in the midst of all of this frustration. Anybody today could have stood up here and shared some historical things about Joseph. Doesn't take a pastor to do that. Doesn't take a gifted teacher. Just about any one of you could have come up here today, shared a lot of the same facts about Joseph and probably in a lot better way than I have. But the thing that a teacher of God's word or a proclaimer of God's word the thing that separates them, I think, in part, is their ability to struggle and wrestle with helping people take the biblical context and to figure out how can we transport that through these doors out into the parking lot, into your car, and on with you into life application. And you and I know, by looking at Joseph's entire life, something happened here. From that whining moment of, can you get me out of here? I don't deserve this, until he stood at the end of his life over his brother's fate. Something happened to that man. And for me... That's what I've got to be able to wrap up for you, pack for you, so that in these next few moments you can take it through those doors, through these doors, out into the parking lot with you. And for me, I think as we look at Joseph's life in total, it was his ability to each day, each challenge that he faced through famine and destitution and death and bitterness and forgiveness and all of these things he was wrestling with personally and vocationally, it was his ability historically to look back and say, here's a guy that each day was able to ask God for remarkable leadership and courage that God would give him in his head, in his heart, and through a courageous act of submission before God, saying, God, every single day, in my head, in my heart, I need you to lead me. Think about the things that he faced. Those years of prosperity, when they were filling up those vats and all of that grain, and people were saying, give us more. There's so much more. He was saying, but there's, there's coming a day of peril. We need to be careful. He had to have a steady hand. He had, a, had, to, had to have a forgiving heart. I mean, here's a guy that was able to seem, in the end, to have all of those tools that God wanted him to have. And what is there for us to take with us? 
Because at this moment, I would suggest to you, this was the crossroads. And there his final hope stood before Pharaoh himself and the man forgot him. And what I want you to understand today is that hope is understanding and each of us have to be able to come to that place in our life that one day Joseph heard the click of the cell that he had heard so often. But this time it was Pharaoh's entourage itself. And Pharaoh had called for him. And just in a short time, a signet ring was placed on his finger. That, and he was given the, kings to all, the, the keys to all the kingdom of Egypt and to soon the biggest part of the world. So what I want you to understand and jot this down is for every chapter 40 in your life, there's always going to be a chapter 41. Have you ever stopped to think about this? In chapter 40, it was about struggle. But when we get to chapter 41, it's about success. In chapter 40, it was all about frustration. But in chapter 41, it's all about fulfillment. And what is it that will create in us a hope that I'll get through this? I'll tell you what it is. It's understanding that with every chapter 40 moment in our life, there's coming a chapter 41. And the Bible tells us that the whole earth came under judgment and that God was about to destroy the whole earth for 40 days he, and nights. He brought rainfall. And then on the 41st day in the air was a symbol of the covenant of God of restoration because following every chapter 40, there's always a chapter 41. And the Bible says, and Israel wandered for 40 long years until the whole group died off. And then there was the 41st year. And a whole new generation had been born that was ready and eager to now go into the promised land. I'm telling you, at the end of every chapter 40, there's a chapter 41 coming. And the Bible tells us that for 40 days and 40 nights, this monster called Goliath stood in front of the God's chosen people in the nation and humiliated. I, I, I can't tell you in mixed company what Goliath did to embarrass them. It was so filthy. 40 days, 40 nights, he would come out and ridicule and mock them. But on day 41, a young adolescent boy took a stone and hit him in the forehead and he dropped graveyard dead because with every chapter 40 moment there's one coming called chapter 41. The Bible tells us that our Lord and Savior for 40 days and 40 nights went out into the desert to do combat with Satan himself, hungry, exhausted, Satan hurling everything he had at him. But on day 41, the Bible says out of the desert he emerged.
ready, the Lord Jesus did, to fulfill his mission to be the substitutionary, the sinless substitutionary death, to experience that on the cross for us. Because I'm telling you, with every chapter 40 moment, there's a chapter 41 coming. And we know not only did he fulfill that moment, but after three days being in that tomb, up from the grave he arose, and I'm telling you, over 500 people witnessed him in historical accounts. He was there 40 days, and on the 41st day, there he was seated at our Father's hand, resuming the very place that he had left in such a majestic way a time previous. Because there's always going to be a chapter 41 that follows a chapter 40 moment. And folks, if that won't get you up out of your bed every day, then I don't know anything that will. When you and I are struggling with frustration and that crossroads of our faith, what will get us up? We've got to understand, even in our frustration, these moments that are packed full of anxiety for us, there's a chapter 41 coming. Aren't you thankful? And in order to open that door, the gateway to the principle, the doorway to that truth is a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't know what you came in with today. Whether it's your center, you're streaming, whether you're watching from New Orleans today or the state of Ohio, for some of those in New Mexico that are shut down today, don't know what you're experiencing exactly. But no matter how frustrated you are, I want you to know there is hope. Would you pray with me today? Lord, we just thank you for these moments in your word. Thank you for the life of Joseph. Wow. Just to watch a man that was so, so disappointed. And then disappointments turned to frustration. And Father, for us to be able to take your biblical text, preserved, time-tested, and true, to be able to take these three very important principles into everyday life of frustration. With every chapter 40 moment we have, there's a 41 coming. So Father, as we understand from a big picture that oftentimes this frustration is just a simple course of your frustration. Maybe someone is here in this place listening to this telecast today that says, you know, I just... I, had, I knew eventually I would have to take care of my aging parents, but I had no idea right now. I just, again, reality and expectation colliding causes frustration. For that heart that's here today to say, you know, I just, I just never expected to be in this kind of situation. Again, the reality of the moment and such a heartbreak of expectation that as those two collide, Father, I just thank you today that you give us hope through it all. We love you. We worship you. We trust you. And we'll walk with you. But Father, most importantly, we need you 
to be with us, in us, in our heads, in our hearts, and in every aspect of our decisions, day in and day out. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.